I invite you to be seated. Friends, we are continuing this morning in our Good Enough series, utilizing the Good Enough devotional book that if you'd like to read along with us but don't have a copy yet, we do have available out in the sanctuary. And the Good Enough book that we're also using um, for our discussion groups this Lent. So if you're reading along but haven't joined us for either of those which began last week, know that you still can. You're welcome to pop in and pop out as that group may be useful to you as a chance to explore and grow together this Lenten season. Those Lenten discussion groups are Tuesday at 7.15 p.m. over Zoom and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. here in person at the church. And together, throughout this season, we are looking to find ways to claim and capture a faith that is good enough. Which does not mean that we're looking to give up, but rather that we're looking to pull ourselves away from that relentless push towards perfection, to welcome what is the growth that comes when we rest and uh, simply place ourselves in the God who is with us in this place. Friends, let us begin the message this morning with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Sometimes, we have to let go. Last May, the Associated Press published a news article that I took personally. Even now, some ten months later, I still feel a little wounded from what at least felt like a direct attack on me. The article was titled, Please stop donating trash. The message of the article was rather simple. More than a year into the pandemic, at that point, legions of people across the country had spent so long at home that they were now eager to declutter their houses and donate some of their belongings to the local Goodwill or thrift store. The only problem was that a lot of what was being donated was actually trash. Donors, with presumably honest and optimistic intentions were nevertheless dropping off broken furniture, flashlights with leaking batteries, unworking appliances, and even, in at least one instance, a used sponge. And these unusable donations are sorted out at the stores where they're donated, and while some of them can be recycled, and they are if they can be, most of it was being thrown away. For one group of 30 Goodwill stores throughout New England, that meant a trash bill of more than a million dollars a year. And so Goodwill began putting out this gentle reminder, which was picked up in this Associated Press article, encouraging everyone to be more considerate of their donations. Or as one Goodwill communication manager was quoted as saying, if you wouldn't give it to your judgy mother-in-law, then don't donate it. Now, the article was in print, so I can't know this for sure. But I can only imagine someone delivering that advice with the same pointed look that I sometimes get from my wife when decluttering our house. It's that look she gives me when I so frequently and so confidently place something on the donate pile when apparently it belongs on the trash heap. Roughly translated, this look means, really? It turns out that I have been very caught up in the phenomenon called wish cycling, wishing that everything could be reused or recycled and given new life, even when it is not physically 
possible. It's a wonderfully hopeful attitude. And yet, it turns out, no one wants my decade-old printer cables or the pair of novelty sunglasses I got for free once and now have one very loose lens or a half-painted and partially cracked terracotta planter. Not everything can be salvaged, at least not by me, and at least not right now. Sometimes we have to let go. This is true for much more than just what we choose to donate to thrift stores. On one episode of her podcast, Kate Bowler, the author of Good Enough, talks about the wonder and the burden of the American can-do spirit, which is so sure that everything can be fixed if we just work at it hard enough. Kate was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer in 2015 at the age of 35, and so she experienced that moment when those around her all turned to action, looking for every treatment and recourse that might solve, might fix her cancer. She describes this as beautiful and affirming to know that she was so loved by so many who were willing to do anything they could for her. But sometimes there's nothing that can be done. And so Kate also talked about having the courage to not fix things and the wisdom to know when to hope and when to let go. Because not everything can be salvaged, at least not by me, and at least not right now. Sometimes we have to let go. This is the challenge that resonates at the center of today's gospel passage. We meet Jesus in the middle of his ministry on his way toward the city of Jerusalem, where he's met by a group of Pharisees with an ominous message. Go, get away from here, they tell him, because Herod wants to kill you. Pharisees are often presented as Jesus' opponents throughout the Gospels, but this generous warning to Jesus is a good reminder that their disagreements with him were rooted in a desire to be faithful to the Jewish faith. And Herod, well, Herod was a different sort of opponent altogether. Herod was a tyrant, a biblical bully who wielded power recklessly to stymie resistance and to bring Israel under his control. He guarded his power anxiously, once executing his own wife out of fear that she was plotting against him, and another time massacring all of the infant boys of Bethlehem because he heard from a group of traveling magi who had followed a star that a new king had been born there. Herod was the quintessential despot, the sort of ruler that W.H. Auden wrote about in his short poem titled Epitaph on a Tyrant, saying this, He knew human folly like the back of his hand and was greatly interested in armies and fleets. When he laughed, respectable senators burst with laughter. And when he cried, the little children died in the streets. Written in the 1930s, Auden probably had a particular dictator in mind while penning this poem, even while he captured a more universal characterization. Herod functions in a similar way in this scripture, being both a historical figure while also standing in as a representation of all of the forces of death active in this, our weary world. Whether that's tyrants and their wars, or viruses and cancer, famine and poverty, oppression and injustice, or anything else. 
Go, the Pharisees told Jesus, Herod is trying to kill you. Curiously, when faced with this deadly threat, Jesus is resolute, but not altogether resistant. He responds by saying, go and tell that fox that I have work to do here, throwing out demons and healing people, and I will keep working until it's done. And then he seems to say that he understands that he will die, maybe even at Herod's hands, though it will be in Jerusalem and not outside of the city. And instead of vigorously trying to thwart Herod's machinations, instead of fruitlessly pushing back at the forces of death pointed at him, Jesus acknowledges that his death will come. And it's not the tact we might wish God would take, but God doesn't always perform the miracles that we want. We might hope for the perfect solution, something to salvage the situation and correct it completely, but instead, God laments. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jesus says, how often I have wanted to gather your people like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. How I had wished to protect you from the wiles of the wicked, God says. How I had wished to shield you from sickness and sorrow and death and destruction. How I had wished for all of your days to be marked by comfort and safety under my gentle wing. But it was not to be at, not, at least, not right then and right there. As Jesus says, but you didn't want that. But the you there isn't an indictment of the individual, as though every single chick in the barnyard just needed to come to their senses and stop avoiding the protection of the hen's wing already. Chicks don't do that. And Jesus wasn't talking to the you in the singular. Instead, Jesus is grieving how Jerusalem, And all of creation have been captured by the forces of death. We, as a people, have opened the gate and welcomed in our natural predator, leaving the chicks unprotected when the fox appears in the hen house. But you, Jesus says, to all of Jerusalem, to all of God's people, to all of creation, you didn't want that. And so in some ways, this can act as a call to repentance, to repent of all the ways that we have been complicit with the powers that perpetuate violence and injustice and inequality and illness. But perhaps even more so, this might speak to the powers that have invited in death and the way that we as individuals are sometimes simply victims of forces beyond our control, crying out under the sickness and brokenness and tragedy that, it, that is inflicted upon us for no fault of our own. As much as we might wish otherwise, life is sometimes filled with situations that are outside of our control, that we did not create, and that we cannot fix or solve. Like Jesus did when threatened by Herod, we may need the wisdom to distinguish what we can do and what we must let go. Because sometimes we have to let go. If let go of our ideas about what should have been or could have been. Or let go of our fruitless attempts to make everything better by sheer force of effort. Setting these things out at the curb 
like furniture too broken to even donate to Goodwill. Sometimes we have to let go. But God never lets us go. When we hold on to what we can do, what God has called us to do, we may find a courage to face these difficult moments. And the simple faithfulness of feeding and praying, of opening doors and crying together, of speaking words of comfort and resting in the silence, we might find a compass that points us back to the one who walks and laments with us. We can name our awful reality. We are hurt. We are sad. We are angry. We are dismayed. And God grieves this reality with us. For God never lets us go. And God remains with us as God is always with us. Not the God of our imaginations, not the God of our relentless drive to fix and avoid, but the God of sorrows who is well acquainted with grief. The God who came so we might have life and who, when threatened with death, continued the life-giving work of freeing and healing and saving all the same. The God who leads us into chaos, who walks with us through the storm, and who offers an enduring hope. For as Jesus continues, he says to the gathered crowd, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Christ's promise is to return, to one day set all things right. We don't have the strength or the power to do it all ourselves, at least not on our own, and at least not right now. But in the steady routine of what we can do is one enduring task. We can hope in the one who comes in the name of God of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, as we continue in worship, I invite you to stand in body or in spirit for our next hymn.